You are listening to the Missions History Podcast, brought to you by the International Mission Board, where we remember the past to inspire the future. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Welcome to Missions History Podcast. I'm David Brady, and my co-host is... Scott Peterson. Today, we are extremely delighted to welcome to the podcast Dr. Rebecca Naylor. And she is a missionary that many of you already are familiar with. And today we are so excited to be able to talk with her and to hear a little more about her story. Dr. Naylor, welcome to the Missions History Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Naylor, as we begin, um, just to sort of uh, orient, maybe if someone has not heard of you, uh, you were a missionary, a medical doctor, a surgeon, um, and uh, worked in India. And you've also done a lot of other sort of missionary endeavors um, there in reaching people uh, and mobilizing folks back here in the United States. And um, you have been recognized not only um, by Christians, but even by um, sort of secular organizations just for your lifetime of service. And so we're we're just very grateful to be able to talk with you today. As, as we begin, though, we one of the things we're interested in in the podcast is how did Rebecca Naylor become Rebecca Naylor, the missionary surgeon? What's your background? How did you get there? Because you know, there's some people who are listening to this and thinking, you know, I I don't know that I could be, or maybe I'm not gifted to be a missionary. Um, but they're considering that call. So tell us a little bit about your background. Where were you born? What was your your early family life like? Uh, I was born actually in the state of Arkansas. My father uh, was a Baptist pastor, and uh, so I grew up in a, in a home where we were centered in the church. Um, I learned about Jesus as at a very early age. I was five years old when I. Um, accepted Jesus as my Savior. I still remember uh, the excitement and joy. I wanted to tell everybody what had happened to me, and over all these years since then, that that desire has just increased. Um, I was in junior high school, I think, when uh, I became interested in medicine. God obviously must have put that interest there because I had no clue how one became a doctor, what what the doctor really did. I I knew nothing, but I I, I felt that being a doctor was what I was to do. I was 13 years old um, when some missionaries um, visited our church during a Lottie Moon week of prayer for foreign missions. They, they were not medical, but they shared their stories. It was during that week that God uh, really just so clearly impressed me that medical missions was what I was to do. I could not imagine such a thing. I thought that was something very big. I was a nobody and very small, and it was too difficult to achieve and furthermore, I didn't want to leave home. And so I did not share with anyone, including my parents, um, what what was happening. Over about 18 months, 
I just continued. This was in front of me all the time. I could not escape it. And finally, I said, okay, God, if this is what I'm to do, I will do it. And immediately, the peace was there. I was no longer kind of befuddled and confused about the whole thing. And uh, at that point, I shared it with my family and began a lot of years of preparation um, in order to to be equipped to serve in the way in which God had called me. You know, Dr. Naylor, um, one of the things I think we, we need to make sure that people know, not just that your father was a Southern Baptist pastor, but he also became the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and was just a, a very significant leader. I remember um, early years when I would do deacon training. It was your father's book that I used to train deacons uh, in, in my congregation. Yes, and that book is is still being used for deacon training. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So, wh- wh- how old were you when you moved to um, to Seminary Hill? I was fourteen, um, and just in the midst of all this um, kind of thought process about missions. Wow! When uh, when my dad became president of the seminary. Wow, that's that's amazing. And um, were your parents when they heard about it? I mean, I assume that kind of had been their life, encouraging people to follow the call of Christ. Were were they supportive? Totally supportive. Uh, And definitely, as you say, they had encouraged and led people to follow Christ's call for their entire ministry. And so, um, so it was certainly applicable to me as their child. And they were very, very supportive. So, Dr. Naylor, tell us a little bit about, you mentioned a long period of preparation. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the stages of that preparation that you took and how long did it take before you actually uh, began that and then were to go overseas? Um, I went to college at Baylor and was a pre-med student. my other interest besides medicine has been music. So even in college, um, I was kind of a full-time piano student as well as uh, keeping up with labs and all the science things. Um, I went to medical school at Vanderbilt uh, in Nashville. Um, and um, that period, of course, was very intense so far as study. Um, but, uh, you know, a great time of learning. It was when I was in medical school, um, between my third and fourth year of medical school, I spent a summer in our Baptist hospital in Thailand uh, as a student. Um, I was. It, it was a time when God further affirmed his call to me, but Perhaps more importantly, it was a time when I decided that God wanted me to be a surgeon. Uh, This was in the 1960s. Women did not go into surgery. Wow. (laughs) And um, that summer, the missionary that I worked with uh, most closely was a surgeon, a wonderful person. Um, I was able to, you know, be in the operating room with him and discovered that I loved it. And I think even he was a bit shocked when I told him 
that I had decided to be a surgeon. Uh, he couldn't quite, you know, imagine that this girl was going to go do that. And prior um, to that, you had been thinking about internal medicine, right? I had been. Um, that I, I liked it. I was good at it. And um, that was a good thing for a, a woman to do. And it, of course, would be useful wherever in the world God put me. Um, and was an acceptable thing for me to do. And when I decided on surgery and went back to school for my fourth year, um, and of course had to get letters of recommendation, um, all the faculty at Vanderbilt were uh, did their very best to convince me not to be a surgeon, but finally recommended me. I was thinking that you know, maybe I won't even get an opportunity to train. Maybe I won't even get a job. Um, I, I really wondered. But as it turned out, God gave me the opportunity to be trained in Dallas, and it was my very first choice of a place to, to be trained. You, you know, Dr. So, Naylor, um, in, in, your, in the book about you, one of the things that was interesting is the hospital that you went to, you got to actually— perform surgeries much more quickly than you would have in a lot of other places. Yes. Um, Parkland Hospital in Dallas is the city county hospital in, in Dallas County. And um, it, that was the primary place where I worked, though we rotated at other places as well. It's a very high volume uh, training program even today. And uh, I received excellent, excellent surgical training. It was also really a place that I had my first um, significant cross-cultural exposure, um, both ethnic cross-cultural and then um, just lifestyle. We, of course, took care of a lot of uh, prisoners and other such people. So um, it, it was quite a, a broad education, wow, even beyond, beyond surgery. You, you know, Doctor, and this may seem like a crazy question, but I, I always am interested about what it is that attracts somebody to, to a particular profession. So you said you you saw the surgery, you were drawn to it. What what aspect? Is it sort of the technical aspect of doing it? I mean, personally, if I saw all of the, you know, all of the <laughs> blood and everything, I wouldn't make it. I'm not wired that way. How How was it that you... What was it about the physical aspect of doing surgery that seemed to attract you to it? Well, you may have just hit upon it. I guess I was wired that way by by God when he made me. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, I like being able to to fix the problem and see the person get well. And for the most part, at least in surgery, you're not dealing so much with chronic uh, disease. Yes. Um, but you you actually treat the problem and and it's done with. Um, and and that very much attracted me. And and the manual skills. I don't know if if uh, maybe my years of playing the piano or what. Yes. But Interesting. I, I was uh, I found that I was fairly good with the manual skills. So I guess you know God just made me that way. Yeah. Well, what were you doing during, I mean, this is a long season, you know, uh, Baylor and Vandy and then uh, working there at, at Parkland Hospital. 
What are you doing spiritually to continue to grow in that realm? Um, This is just so exciting. And I guess for most of us, it's only when we look back. Obviously, the places that I went to to school or to train, um, the primary goal was education. But in each of those places, God um, put me in churches where not only did I have fellowship and excellent teaching and spiritual feeding, but relationships were formed that have been lifelong. Wow. Um, And of course, I couldn't have, I mean, I didn't even know when I went to a new place where I would go to church. Right. So I didn't know all that was going to happen. But it did, and um, and I, you know, I've been forever grateful. Um, for example, in Dallas, um, actually, I arrived in Dallas as a, a, you know, just out of medical school, and um, I lived at the hospital the first year. I okay. actually lived in the hospital, and um, I, I visited two or three churches. I was I was taught by my father that when you go to a new place you don't visit very long. Right. You, you know, you you must get involved. Absolutely. So, um <laughs> I had been to two or three and uh, it was okay. I wasn't too excited. And I realized that First Baptist Church Dallas was the closest geographically to me where I, where I was living. And it was so big and I thought you know, well, I I guess I should go once before I join one of these others. And I went and uh, joined that church that very Sunday. And the relationships that I had there in that church and the the, the preaching by Dr. Criswell, the, the Sunday school teachers, in the six years that I was in Dallas, I had two Sunday school teachers, women. And those women um, not only nurtured me and cared for me for six years, but through my entire time in India, those women stayed in touch, prayed, and were involved. Wow, that is such that is such an encouragement. You know, you think just what you said. I I see people come to a new town and they just take a year or two looking for a church, and and I I think that um, you know if you find something that is you know, biblically solid. I think that idea of jumping in there and in you, you did what was in front of you, but God obviously had a plan in, in establishing some of those relationships, as you said, that would carry you through, throughout your ministry. And so six That's years, right. so six years there in Dallas, and then uh, you tra- make a transition overseas. So tell us a little bit about that application process and why India? Um, the application process um, with the what was then the Foreign Mission Board, I, I knew that that would be the agency through which I would go overseas because I obviously was a pretty committed Southern Baptist. Um, and at that time, we had about 20 hospitals um, all over the world that um, related to the IMB. And... Um, all through all through my years of education, every time I had opportunity to go to a, you know, a medical missions conference that the the board would put on or whatever, I, it was such an encouragement. So I, I was, um, you know, aware 
of of the work of the medical work that was going on all around the world. Uh, and the application process is um, even then as it is now. It was thorough and as it should be. And um, the time came before I was appointed. I, I, I was still in my training in Dallas that um, a gentleman came from Richmond to Dallas to talk to me about where I would go. Um, back in the early 70s at that point, uh, it's not like now. We didn't have the ability even to do vision trips or, or right. whatever that people do now. And it was it was just, you know, information given and God to God to lead. So he came to talk to me. Um, there was a little background in that when I was in Thailand that summer, I had gone through India on the way home. Okay. Um, I had been impressed as a child reading the biography of Dr. Ida Scudder, who founded Christian Medical College for Women in South India. And uh, she was a missionary there for many, many years. And I wanted to see that place, thinking I would never in my life again have any opportunity. And I had spent four days in India that summer. I did see Christian Medical College and was very impressed. But India as a whole, um, it, it was very difficult. It I resolved after four days that I would never set foot in the place again. <laughs> and uh, it was it was hot. It was dirty. There were so many people. Um, it, it seemed so hopeless. Um, poverty was unlike anything I'd ever seen uh, anywhere. And, um, it, you know, I thought, this is uh, no more of this place. Well, that day in Dallas, when the gentleman was talking to me um, about where I was going to serve, he went through the list of the 20 hospitals. Uh, One by one, he eliminated them. Uh, They didn't need a surgeon. Uh, You couldn't get a visa. Uh, It wasn't a good place to send a single woman, Um, whatever reason. Until, as he was on about number 15 or 16, I quickly began to realize what was about to happen. (laughs) And uh, after he had eliminated all of them, he said, and we're building a brand new hospital in Bangalore, India. They need a surgeon. Will you go? So uh, I looked at him, told him none of this that I've just told you. (laughs) And I said, uh, yes, I will go. And that was that was it. Dr. Naylor, you know, I was thinking about this. One thing I want to mention to our listeners is you have a really, a a very good article on Dr. Ida Scudder that's on the IMB website. We'll put it in the show notes. It's called A Life of Consecrated Purpose, the Ministry of Dr. Ida Scudder. And you wrote that article and we'd love for our listeners to to check that out. That's a um, um, a good um, resource for them to learn more about how you were inspired. And just parenthetically, I would say to our listeners, um, if you, you know, if you're interested or if you think God is, is dealing with you about a call, reading missionary biographies is just 
one of the best things you can do. You're uh, singing my song. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, well, we're with you right here. <laughs> Uh, there are many, many that you can read, and it shows you how God, how God speaks to people in various ways. It shows how God uses people of every kind. It, it shows how God uses ordinary people to accomplish amazing things. And uh, missionary biographies are just a tremendous uh, resource. Well, you know, Dr. Naylor, you've mentioned two things today that come up over and over when we talk to missionaries about items or things that influence their call. And one is exposure to missionaries in the churches, and secondly, reading missionary biographies. And both of those had a big impact on me personally. And um, so I I think it's something that we want to reiterate to our listeners. Uh, We need to read more and we need to see more missionaries. And and Dr. Naylor, did you, did you, who were the missionaries when you were, I think you said 13, that, do you remember their names that came to the church? Um, Finley and Julia Graham were from Lebanon. Oh, yes. And uh, Charles and um, what was her name? Indy, I believe, Whitten from Spain. Wow. And the Wittens, there is actually a biography. It's probably out of print about the Wittens that uh, can still be found at some places. And, and Dr. Naylor, have you ever heard of um, a man named, a Southern Baptist missionary named T.W. Ayers, who founded— I've heard of him. I don't know much about him. He he founded our first um, missionary hospital in um, North China, and it was called Warren Memorial. But he wrote a, a wonderful book um, called Healing and Missions, and it was actually influential in the life of Bill Wallace in encouraging him. Right. And, you know, I love um, how he says it in the book, you know, when people question sort of the validity of medical missions, he says, that is precisely how Jesus did it. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, I always thought that that's, that argument pretty much settles the validity of medical missions. <laughs> yeah, it does settle it. You're correct. <laughs> yeah. So um, tell us, you, so you told us about not wanting to go to India, but tell us about that experience of arriving and what your early years, uh, you went to a particular part of India, to, to the city of Bangalore. Tell us what that was like in the mid-1970s. Um, well, I went, I, first of all, I went, uh, fully convinced that God had directed me to go there. Um, and those, uh, feelings that I had from then by then, it was about seven years before, um, I did discover, I thought I had dealt with all that, but I did discover in my first 24 hours in India that I hadn't quite put all those things to rest. But I got over it fairly quickly. I didn't really ever experience um, significant culture shock. I I knew that going to another country and another lifestyle would be different, and it was. And I knew that I would need to learn uh, language, culture. I would need to just simply adjust. And I did. And so... Um, Really, nothing too unexpected happened to me. Um, Bangalore in 1974 was a city of about one and a half million people. Um, I had never lived in a city that big before. Uh, 
it was known as the Garden City of India, um, of the big cities. It, it was and is the fifth largest city in India. Uh, it was uh, the climate was somewhat better than the rest of the country, um, and um, you know the hospital had been open a few months. Uh, the day that I went to work, which was the very week I arrived, um, there were 12 patients in the in in the ward in the hospital, and we were seeing about 60 patients a day in the clinic. So uh, that was, you know, kind of the the scene uh, where I arrived. You know, one of the things I want to mention because you know when you're reading through the the history of Southern Baptist missions. One of the big blank spots, and you always wonder why is it a blank spot, is we really didn't do anything in India. Um, and that was because you had your uh, the Baptist Missionary Society from England had sent missionaries. Um, the Northern Baptists had some work um, in India. So it wasn't until the mid- middle of the 20th century before we entered. Do you know who were some of the Southern Baptist pioneer missionaries in India? Yes. Uh, actually, I think we had an agreement with the Northern Baptists that we would work in China and they would work in India. Right. And that's what had gone on for, you know, decades. And it was in 1962 that Southern Baptists sent their first missionary to India. It, he was Dr. Jasper McPhail. And he went as faculty member at Christian Medical College in Valor. And medical missions was our only access to the country of India. Um, and so he was he went to teach and was told to, you know, find a place to put a hospital. And ultimately that place was identified as Bangalore. Uh, the state government uh, in that area uh, invited us to establish a hospital there, and Dr. Um, uh, Ralph Bethay, Dr. John Wickman, Dr. Richard Hellinger were the three people in the late 60s who uh, bought property, began outpatient clinics, mainly in their homes, um, and began uh, planning and ultimately building Bangalore Baptist Hospital. Were there already um, Baptist churches in that area that you could attend, or were the missionaries involved in starting those? Uh, missionaries, um, there there were a, a few um, churches in the city that were Baptist. Um, the missionaries were engaged from the beginning in starting churches. Um, one of the first ones was in 1966, um, uh, and it's still a very viable church today. It was started in a slum in, in Bangalore, um, and over over these now 50 years, uh, hundreds of churches have come. So you hit the ground running, jumping in, handling a caseload, uh, the same week you arrived, uh, uh, were there communication challenges? Definitely communication challenges. And um, we, we uh, 
feel very strongly that missionaries need to learn the language where they work. And that was true when I went as well. The only problem was I was to be a part-time doctor and a part-time language student. And um, being a part-time doctor is uh, actually, I think, impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. So I was a full-time doctor and a part-time language student. Um, I did study language, but was fully engaged in the hospital from the beginning. And you, a lot of languages are spoken in India. Which one was it that you had to learn? Uh, I've studied the language Kannada, which is uh, the state of Karnataka in South India, um, Bangalore's capital of that state. Um, but in Bangalore, there are seven totally distinct languages spoken, including English being one. And um, so even though I studied Canada and, of course, hopefully spoke some English, um, I was still, for all the years, dependent on translators for at least some of the languages. And, and Dr. Naylor, since this is a history podcast, is, is the state of Karnataka where you would have um, the sort of uh, Christians who claim a lineage back to Thomas? No, that's the state of Kerala. Okay. Which is, it's further south from Karnataka. Uh, And actually, one of the reasons that the mission board chose um, this location for the hospital, this was the least evangelized state in all of South India. Wow. So, you know, there was a strategic reason for it. As, for it being there. So tell us a little bit about um, sort of the development. The hospital is sort of growing and your responsibilities are growing. Tell us what your life was like as um, as a doctor, as a surgeon during those days. Well, my memory is that it was a, a full life and a busy life and a, a fairly happy one. Um, the hospital was kind of taking off and growing. I I sometimes say to people, uh, the hospital and I grew up together. Um, So, you know, I was uh, sort of fresh out of my training. Um, I was encountering things that maybe I had not seen before uh, medically. Um, And in those early days, you, you, uh, we on the staff had to take care of everything. I, I wasn't just a surgeon. Um, and we took night call, and when you took night call, you did everything. I took care of medicine patients, babies, whatever. Um, The other thing that happened to me um, immediately, the first 10 years, we did not have a gynecologist on the staff. So as the surgeon and as a female, uh, the obstetrics and gynecology fell to me as well. And um, I, I think this points up that any missionary, no matter what kind of profession he's in, he, he will do things he did not think he was going to do when he went there. <laughs> right. So you, you delivered and, a lot uh, of babies then, didn't you? I delivered a lot of babies over the years. Um, so, um, and I was pretty quickly involved in administrative aspects of the hospital. Um, and, you know, begin to kind of learn how an institution functions and is organized. And 
um, and was a part of in those early years of our really putting the the, the spiritual priorities, the ethos of the hospital into its very DNA. And um, the result is that even today, that is very much there and in place. And tell us a little bit about that and, and especially how you as a doctor were able to to share your faith, to pray with patients, to to really sort of let them know that you were doing this in Jesus' name? Um, I think it's so important for all of us as believers, whatever is our profession, that that we make sure that our identity in Jesus is totally integrated with our professional identity. And it's not just our identity, but it's what we do every day. And it's integrated and not divided into time slots or compartments. Right. Um, so as I took care of patients, um, for one thing, for all the years, I have prayed with every patient before surgery with permission in the name of Jesus. I never had a patient of any faith background, uh, you know, refuse permission to pray. Um, and so that, that was consistent. I also sometimes prayed with patients in the clinic as I saw them, if, if there was opportunity. Um, sometimes in the clinic, um, I mean, those people are like all people. They had their physical complaint, but sometimes they had other problems that we would talk about. And I could say to them, you know, when I face trouble in my life, uh, Jesus is my best friend. Could I tell you how that works for mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. And then say, do you have anything like that in your life? Well, no, I don't. Well, mm-hmm. would you like to know how you can have it? Right. Um, and then you're able to share the gospel. Um, I led a, a service on Sundays in the hospital for patients and visitors all the years I was in India. Um, I would tell Bible stories using flannel graphs. Uh, materials. There's a and, there's and, a funny story and, about that. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but about Zacchaeus, could you tell our listeners about that story that may not have read the book? I remember one uh, that was actually on an Easter Sunday when, um, you know, the, the earthquake happened on Easter morning and the soldiers supposedly were, you know, kind of fell down uh, unconscious. And uh, one of the soldiers fell off the board just at that very appropriate <laughs> moment. Um, yes, that you was can in the tell book the too. Zacchaeus story. Well, I know that it, at least it's related that uh, the Zacchaeus character was missing from the flannel graph set, and that you mentioned <laughs> that he was so small you couldn't even see him in the tree. <laughs> You know, you have to recover at all points. That's right. That's a lot of flexibility in teaching methods there. Oh, that is so fun. Well, tell us about, too, you also began to have a role as a teacher. Um, You were, uh, I I love the the name that you were given, the Anatomy Madam. And uh, tell us a little (laughs) bit about your role as a teacher and the, the subsequent nursing school that was named in your honor. Um, I, I've always enjoyed teaching. I did when I was in my training in Dallas, I enjoyed teaching those junior to me and medical students. Um, so I went to India in the, um, from the very beginning, we would have lunchtime, uh, 
conferences with the medical staff, which <laughs> numbered about five or six, uh, and we would teach each other. And then I was doing informal teaching, kind of one-on-one, including training up a young doctor to actually become a surgeon. And then in the 1990s, about 91, actually, uh, we began formal training programs in the hospital, um, allied health training. Uh, We started residency training for doctors. I was involved in getting those started curriculum development um, accreditation. And then in 1996, we began the School of Nursing. Um, Actually, the nursing school had been a vision way before my time in the property deeds when they bought the land. Mm -hmm. It says that the land was for a hospital and a nursing school. And it took 30 years uh, before we had the nursing school. Um, And um, there were three objectives. One, improve quality of care in the hospital. Secondly, we had a huge turnover of nursing staff in the hospital. It, It wasn't real stable, and we knew the school would help. And then the third reason, we wanted to provide educational opportunity for girls Um, from a very weak socioeconomic background who otherwise it was really hopeless for their future. So uh, we have achieved all three of those objectives um, over these years, uh, 22 years now. Um, And um, the first um, six years, I guess, in the school, I did teach anatomy and physiology uh, to the first-year nursing students. Um, it was, uh, I, I think I enjoyed it as much as anything I've ever done. Wow. Um, I love teaching, but the thing was these students were the most motivated students that I have ever taught at any level on either side of the world. Um, you know, I've taught in seminary, I've taught in medical school, I've taught things in India, um, these girls, their very future, the lives of their families depended on their succeeding. And they knew they had to learn. And um, some of them had, uh, their English was the medium of instruction as is required in India for professional education. And some of them, their English was limited at best and to understand a scientific lecture was a challenge. Um, but, you know, it was just wonderful to see them develop, uh, mature, become confident, professional women. I, I think that's a wonderful thing. And thinking about the <clears throat> the nursing school that was um, named in your honor, and I think that part of the funding for that comes through that relationship you had with someone at First Baptist Church in Dallas. It did. And, um, you know, uh, Mrs. Um, Ruth Hunt had had already uh, helped us financially with a couple of projects in the hospital. And uh, she was very aware of the the desire for the school. We actually had architectural plans ready for five years before we had the school. And um, I had never, pres- I, I would visit her when I came home, 
but I had never so much as really presented the project to her as a request. I never did that. And one fine day, uh, I got called from Richmond, and they had received a large gift from her designated to start the school. Wow. That and, is uh, the very the very next week we began the construction. Oh, that is that is a great great story. And Doctor, now I wanted to kind of turn to a different aspect of this because um, we had an earlier episode where we looked at sort of the broad strokes of changes uh, in uh, Southern Baptist missions over our almost 175 years. And one of the things that began to happen in, in the early 1980s was a move away from uh, focusing on institutions like hospitals and sort of the funding that went with that. And, and so you lived through um, some very significant changes in focus uh, that we had in terms of missions. Would you kind of just um, tell our listeners what that was, what was happening, and kind of how you guys weathered that storm? Uh, yes, the um, as you said, uh, this was just a change that was happening in our mission board. One of the reasons for it, of course, was uh, financial. Uh, institutions are expensive. Um, but another reason was a, a change really in, in philosophy, I think, um, thinking that institutions, though financially costly and time-consuming, perhaps were not contributing as much to church planting. Um, and, and I knew, at least in Bangalore, that was certainly not true. But uh, nonetheless, this was what it was. And uh, I was told, I was then the CEO of the hospital, I was told actually to sell Bangalore Baptist Hospital. Um, that was in 1986. Um, I did not expect that. I didn't know it was coming, and it happened totally out of the blue. Um, and needless to say, I was uh, rather upset. Of course. But, yeah. uh I was responsible to... Um, uh, be obedient and to lead the hospital. So um, over about two years, I went all over India trying to sell the hospital. And people, uh, first place, no one could buy it because they couldn't afford it. It, it was a, an extremely valuable property. Plus, in transferring a property deed, uh, even on sale, the government would charge an additional 14% of market value for tax. And so nobody could afford it. Plus, they assumed if the mission board was selling it, it must be sick. And I said, no, it's very viable. Uh, this is just a change in approach of the mission board. Well, so after two years of, um, uh, of no results, uh, what happened, and God arranged a management partnership with Christian Medical College in yeah, Valor. Amazing, amazing, yeah. And um, it, we actually had a volunteer administrator was visiting us. He knew of the situation. He knew of my discouragement. And this was um, in America about this time was when we first started hearing about satellite hospitals and right. hospital systems. Right. 
And uh, this volunteer uh, on behalf of Arkansas Baptist Hospital was um, in charge of all their satellite facilities. So he went to Christian Medical College as a visiting speaker to tell them about satellite hospital systems in America. Wow. And that night he called me from Velour and he said, Rebecca, you need to be here tomorrow morning. And I said, what in earth for? <laughs> and he, he said, we've got to talk about what to do with, with Bangor Baptist Hospital. Well, and that was the beginning of, of more than a year of negotiations um, between Christian Medical College and the IMB and Bangor Baptist Hospital. And what resulted was a partnership between the three entities. Um, it dealt with everything from property to missionary personnel to volunteers to financial support from IMB. Um, all those things had to be dealt with and commitments made. And it was done. And January this year marked 30 years. Wow. Um, not one clause in the agreement has ever been changed. Amazing. You know, and you know, I was struck. All, I was struck. It, it's miraculous. It is. It miraculous. Is. And all, all three partners um, uh, agree even today that it is a wonderful, beneficial working partnership for all three entities. Amazing. And um, I also came to understand in, in hindsight that, Bangalore Baptist Hospital could never have been what it is today had it stayed just as an IMB hospital. Amazing. And, and, you know, um, it, it has just been a totally amazing story. Yes. At the time, um, I was the only foreigner in the hospital. I was the only missionary on site. And, um, my national colleagues felt abandoned by the IMB, mm -hmm. and actually I did too, but right. I couldn't say that. And um, I had to lead them to be positive and to move forward, and it, we would weather this together, and we did. Amazing. And uh, just, you know, well, today tells the story. Tell us a little bit about how your role began to change and you took on a new direction, if you will, to use our friend Jerry Rankin's term, new direction, uh, but in a different way. Uh, well, in the, in the 80s, I was the CEO of the hospital and um, I was the only missionary and I certainly knew that eventually um, leadership needed to be completely given over to nationals. So um, it was actually in 1990 that at my own initiative, um, you know, I, I don't know, it could be that that the governing board and the IMB were surprised, but I felt the time had come that I should hand over. And at that point, the the gentleman that I thought should be the next leader. He was my associate. And so what we did, um, we just swapped positions. And he became the CEO and I was his helper. Um, 
and was able to pull that off uh, successfully. Um, it, it took a few months of telling employees, no, don't ask me about that. You go ask him. Uh, but, um, you know, that was that was sort of a new role. And then uh, I had been involved in working with national pastors and um, national church planters my whole time in India and was out when I could be, um, when clinical work would allow it, in our churches and, and out in villages uh, with evangelists. But it was in 1999 that um, uh, the IMB asked me to take on the strategy leadership for the state of Karnataka. And how, and, did, um, how did you respond yes. when Dr. Metter asked you to take on this role for the first time? <laughs> Well, he he told me I had to go and be trained uh, to do this, and um, I it was after a you know a, a tough day of board meetings at the hospital, and I thought he was just joking. I honestly did not believe him. I, I mean, I didn't even I I didn't I ignored it, and uh, we went to dinner, and on the way back to the hospital, he said, "You didn't answer my comment." I said, what comment? And, uh, you know, about this. And I said, well, you just got to be joking. Who would take four weeks off of work to go sit in those <laughs> meetings? <laughs> and, and he just said, Rebecca, you've got to, you've got to think about this seriously. It's important. Tell us the role that Master Life played in, mm -hmm. in your ministry and in your life. Um. Master Life uh, was a, a training um, material tool that I used even from early years in India in discipleship with especially young professionals. Um, I, all through my time in India, I did a lot of discipleship Bible studies with uh, young professionals and staff in the hospital. And Master Life was uh, a very practical one that uh, we used for years. Um, and I can remember uh, a group of, of young professionals, a couple of stories. Uh, one I only learned later. We came to the point at which they would uh, share their own personal stories of faith and uh, to practice how they would share other uh, outside. And um, one of the doctors in the group, a young lady, uh, told me later that it was when I assigned them to do that, that she realized she didn't have a story. Wow. And, um, and alone with her Bible, she came to faith. Um, another uh, afternoon we, um, in that group, were, were thinking of disciple making. And these women, they were all, all women. It were six women in the group. Um, they uh, said, well, we're burdened about the five medical colleges in this city where there is no Christian presence, and there should be. And so that's what we are praying for, and we prayed. And I went home that day thinking um, totally not what a missionary should think. I thought, what can six single women in this culture and in this city do about five medical schools with no Christians. And the next week we met 
And as we began to pray, they said, oh, we have to tell you what happened. And I said, what happened? And they said, we've identified a Christian in each of the five schools who's willing to conduct a Bible study. Amazing. Amazing. Hmm. So, um, you know, uh, what a lesson I learned in that as well. And, and Dr. Naylor, one of the things is, you know, here we are in 2019. Uh, do you think, what if there's a young person out there that wants to go into the medical field, a nurse, a doctor, is medical mission still something that's needed? And to kind of give us your thoughts on that. It is so definitely needed, um, perhaps more than ever before. Our world is uh, more and more places in the world we cannot have free access to. There are more and more unreached peoples, and one of the reasons they're unreached is that we're not able to go there. And health care is a strategy, a pathway through which um, we can access basically anybody. And, and I like to say that a, a healthcare professional is unique in several ways. Uh, one, they can cross every geographical barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can cross every economic barrier. Uh, the poorest illiterate villager or the king of a country. They can cross every cultural barrier even if they don't fully have language, they can cross every cultural barrier. But perhaps the most exciting, unique thing is the healthcare professional can get to a spiritual conversation in minutes. Mm. And anybody else, it takes days, weeks, months of relationship building. Wow, wow. And, and, and so healthcare is vital to reaching a lost world for Christ. It's vital because we're commanded to meet needs. Jesus did it. But it's vital strategically. Um, and, and you know, um, yes, any young person whom God is directing into health care and is directing into missions, it fits and it works. Dr. Naylor, thank you so much for taking time with us. It has been a true privilege and joy. Uh, to have you as a guest on Missions History Podcast. And um, I just encourage our listeners, we'll put it in the show notes, to get a copy of Rebecca Ann Naylor, MD. And um, it will be a blessing as you learn more about her life and her ministry. So again, Dr. Naylor, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you, Dr. Naylor. Thank you very much. Until next time for Missions History Podcast, I'm David Brady. And I'm Scott Peterson. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Missions History Podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And check out more great content like this at imb.org.